there are a lot of attributes to God's character that uh, we enjoy and we, we love being a part of and love studying. Of course, one of God's greatest attributes is the fact that God is love, that He loves us so much despite the fact that, that we don't deserve it, despite the fact that we can never earn His love, despite the fact that, that we are always unworthy of His love. He has loved us in an incredible way. He has loved us so much that He wrapped Himself in flesh. Deity became humanity. He came to earth, lived a perfect life, uh, did what we could not do, obeyed the law perfectly, and then went to the cross to die a death in our place, to take the punishment that we deserve, to allow the wrath of God for all of our sins to be poured on Him, where He suffered, He bled, He died. He went to the grave and rose three days later to redeem us to God the Father. And He did all of that because He is love. And we're, we're thankful for that love. And we, we are recipients of that love. I'm thankful for the grace of God. One of His greatest characters is His grace, His mercy, His long-suffering, His gentleness, His holiness, His purity. These are all incredible attributes of God's character. But the most awe-inspiring attribute of God's character, the most awe-inspiring truth of God's character is the truth that He is omnipotent. The word omnipotent, is an English word that is derived from two Latin words that when you put them together, it means all-powerful. Our God is all-powerful. We can't even wrap our brains around that. You know, you, you think about what, what that really entails. What does it mean to be all-powerful? You know, of course, a lot of people enjoy superheroes. I don't think there's anything wrong with superheroes or anything like that. But you look at superheroes and they all have these, these powers, you know, like Superman. I, I, I don't know the superhero uh, level of power, but Superman to me, because I don't really follow him, uh, I think now it's Thanos, I don't know, but I think that's, that's, that's Marvel, I'm talking DC, anyway, Superman to me is probably one of the, the most powerful superheroes. He can leap tall buildings in a single bound, he's faster than a speeding bullet, he can, you know, he can fly backwards around the earth and turn back time. That's pretty powerful, right? But he gets around kryptonite. He's pretty worthless. See, see, God has no kryptonite. And so we think, what does it mean for God to be all-powerful? Wayne Gruden, he gave this, this definition of God's omnipotence. He said, God's omnipotence means that God has all power to do what God decides to do. God can do anything God wants to do. God wants to create the heavens and the earth by speaking them into existence. God can do that. There is nothing that God cannot do. God is all-powerful. And that truth should inspire awe and wonder in us. And if you study the scriptures and you study history, throughout history, throughout the history of mankind, man has been inspired and just in awe of the majesty and the power of God. Followers of Christ have been inspired and filled with awe when they reflect on God's omnipotence when they reflect on God's all-powerful state. So we see this clearly in the writings of the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, the prophet says, Ah, Lord God. Now, before we continue looking at the rest of the verse, I want to look at one Hebrew word in that sentence, in that phrase there, and it's the word, ah. Now that word, you're like, ah. Why are we looking at ah? Because Jeremiah's not saying, ah, here's a neat little fact that you should know about God. 
The word ah there in the Hebrew, it, it, is, it is a word that, that, in the Hebrew, it's a word that expresses great emotion and is, is motivated by a strong sense of marvel. If we were to translate that into our culture today, what Jeremiah is saying is, wow, that's just incredible. He is just in awe and it's just so incredibly inspired by God. So he is reflecting on the greatness and the power and the sovereignty of God. And all he can say is, wow, God. You are incredible. So let's finish the verse. All God, all Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by they, thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. When was the last time you were reading the word of God and just went, wow, God, you're pretty incredible. When was the last time you were just thinking about God? Thought, wow. Man, God's awesome. We've lost the wow of God. We're not inspired by God anymore. We have reduced God down to a system of theology that we can describe with a few bullet points, or we've reduced Him down to something we can relate to. We can't relate to God because God's all-powerful. We are supposed to look at God and go, Wow, God, you are just awesome. We need a fresh sense of wow. We think Jeremiah was so inspired by God. He was so wowed by God. He goes, God, you created everything. There is nothing that you cannot do. There is nothing too hard for God. There is nothing too big in your life for God. I don't know what you're dealing with tonight. Some of you, I do know your situation. I do know what you're, what you're dealing with, what you're battling, the, the problems you're facing. But not everyone. There's some of you here. You've got situations and problems and, and burdens and trials that you're dealing with that I don't have anything, any idea about it. But I'm here to tell you tonight, there is nothing in your life that is too hard for God. There is nothing you are facing that God is not in complete and total control of. You know, I wonder what Jeremiah was doing when he looked up and said, wow, God. I mean, he says, behold the heavens. And he's looking at God's creation. I like to think that he was maybe outside at night. He's looking up at the stars. You ever seen the stars at night when there's no city lights around? It's just, it's incredible. You get out away from all the, the lights of, of humanity and out in the mountains of the ocean and you just look up and there's no city lights to blend, to drown it all out and you just look at the millions and millions of stars. And Jeremiah is just looking up at God's creation. He says, wow, God, if you did all this, there's nothing you can't do. You know, if Jeremiah were around today, he were standing outside, he looked up, and you know what he would probably do? Probably pull out a cell phone and Google. How many stars are there? I did that this week. You know what I got? Number one top result was from the University of Southern California. Here's what they say when you Google how many stars are there. They say, we estimate, that's a word for saying, we ain't real sure, we guess, we estimate that there are about 
10 million observable galaxies. You know what that word observable means? Because we, we guess that there's about 10 billion that we can see. There's, there's others that we, we can't see. So, and look, we're not, they're not talking about they can see with the naked eye. They're talking about they can see with telescopes and satellites and all these other things. They're saying we guess there may be around 10 billion observable galaxies that we can see. Assuming, what happens when you assume? Assuming that there are 100 billion stars per galaxy, there are approximately, another great word there, 1 billion trillion stars. You know what that number looks like? That. It's a one with 21 zeros. And they say, as far as we can figure, as, as much as we can guess, there's probably around that many stars. And God created every single one of them. And here's, the, here's another incredible fact. God named each and every one of them. There's, if there's only one billion trillion, which there's probably a whole lot more than that. But if there's only one billion trillion stars, God made all one billion trillion and named all one billion trillion and knows what's going on around all one billion trillion right now. He is all power. You know what Jeremiah had to do? One, two, three. I don't know how far it got, but he finally went... Wow, God, you are just incredible. There is nothing that you can't do. In comparison to the bigness of God and his power, everything in my life is tiny. It's insignificant. It's small. Even the big stuff to me, to God, it's like, that's it. I created at least 100 billion stars and named them. And you want me to take care of that little issue you have? Sure, no problem. There's nothing too big for God. From Genesis to Revelation, we see evidence of, we see testimonies of the omnipotence of God. And one of the clearest ways we see his power demonstrated is when we look at the, the miracles of Jesus while he was on earth. Now, what is a miracle? Now, there's a lot of people, miracles are just this incredible, unexplainable thing. Here's a definition for the word miracle. A miracle is the extraordinary power of God released in our ordinary lives. When we experience God's incredible power, we experience a miracle. We just stand back and say, wow, isn't God incredible? Isn't God awesome? How many of you tonight, you need the extraordinary power of God released into ordinary life? How many of us, we, we need a miracle for God to step in and do what only God can do? 
So starting tonight for the next several weeks, we are going to look at some of the miracles that Jesus performed while he was on earth. We're going to learn some characteristics from the lives of the people who received the extraordinary power of God in their ordinary lives and experienced these miracles of God. Now, there are over 30 miracles of Jesus recorded in Scripture. And John says if we took time to write every one of them down, we wouldn't have enough ink or paper in the world to tell them all. We're going to look at four. Just four experiences of the extraordinary power of God being released into ordinary people's lives. Now, before we get into the study, I don't want anyone to think that we are looking at these miracles to figure out a way to make God do what we need Him to do. You cannot manipulate God to get involved in your life. So this series is not entitled, How to Get Your Miracle. Because if, you, if God gives you a miracle or not, that's up to God. That's up to His sovereignty and His discretion and His power and His wisdom. It's not up to us. We can't go to God and say, well, God, I'm going to do exactly what they did in Scripture. And if I do exactly what they did in Scripture, then you have to get involved in my life. No, He doesn't. Because He's God. And God can do whatever God wants to do. But we can learn some characteristics that invite God's power into our life, that put us in a position that if God chooses to release His power into our lives, we're ready. So get in your Bibles in Mark chapter number 5 tonight. We're going to look at one of the most incredible miracles of God, I believe, in Mark chapter number 5. Now, in Mark chapter 5, there's two miracles recorded, but we're only going to look at one of them this evening. <coughs> Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse number 21. Now, we're not, we're not going to look at the first one mentioned here, but when Jesus was passed over again by ship into the other side... Much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there come one of the rulers of the synagogue, synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him, and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood, twelve years, had, uh, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. And when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest a multitude, and thou sayest, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. So tonight, I want to look at three truths from this woman's life that when God's extraordinary power was released into her ordinary life, what happened in her life and, and the, kind of some of the truths and some of the situation in her life and what was going on in her life when God decided to come in and do a miracle. First thing we notice was, number one, 
Her life was difficult. Look, here's the truth that we all got to understand, especially some of you younger kids. Life's hard. It's, it's, it's hard. There ain't, there ain't nothing easy about it. You know, adulting is not fun. If you could stay a kid forever, I suggest doing that. Because being an adult with bills and responsibilities and all, it's just, it ain't no fun. Life is difficult. And this woman had a very difficult life. For 12 years, she had lived a difficult life. She had a disease that affected her physically, emotionally, financially, and socially. But the, the nature of her disease in Jewish culture caused her to be unclean for 12 years. That means for 12 years, if she had a husband, he couldn't touch her, couldn't hold her hand, couldn't cuddle up with her in the morning before they went to, went to work, couldn't give her a hug to comfort her. Her kids, if she had, they, couldn't, they couldn't hug her. Her parents couldn't, her friends couldn't comfort her for 12 years. She was an outcast from society. Like the Jews, she would have to be separated from everybody for 12 years. She'd gone to doctor after doctor after doctor with no hope, no help. She'd spent all of her money. You know, I wonder how many, how many just little kind of quick, how many TV, uh, little quick things she did. You ever try to see those diet things on TV? Lose 75 pounds in three minutes. Just take this pill. Wonder how many of those quick fix things she tried and wasted her money on just to, with no help. God created this beautiful world, but sin entered into that world and marred everything that God had made. You know, we tend to think that miracles, they can happen quickly, but she waited for 12 years. You know, J.C. Ryle said this about the world. He said, sin is the cause of all pain and disease in the world. God didn't create us to be ailing and suffering creatures. It was sin and nothing but sin that brought in all the ills that flesh is heir to. Now, I'm not saying that anyone who is sick, if they're sick because of their sin. Anyone who's going through a difficult time, they're going through a difficult time because of their sin. People are sick because of sin. When sin came into the world, death and disease and sickness and pain took over. So why is she sick? Because of sin. Not because of her sin, but because sin is controlling the world. And for 12 years, she's had a difficult time. This woman was suffering. She was sick. She's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She was weak. She was anemic. She was abused by her doctors. The mark says here, he goes, she suffered many things of many physicians. The word suffered there is the same word used when Jesus went through his suffering on the cross. She had gone through a lot because doctors had mistreated her and mismanaged her care. And she spent all of her money trying to find some relief. And she wasn't getting any better. The Bible says she was getting worse. Every day she was worse than she was the day before. She was in a difficult place. You ever been in a difficult position? Difficult situation? Maybe you're in one right now. Maybe it's your health. 
Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your relationship with your job. Maybe it's your, or with your kids. Maybe it's your job. You maybe feel like this woman. Maybe it's been days or weeks or months or maybe for years you've had this problem you've suffered with, you've struggled with, you've battled with, and just for years you've had this difficult situation. No one ever said that a life of following Christ would be a life without difficulties. In fact, Peter said the exact opposite in 1 Peter 4. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. He said, don't, don't, don't think it's weird that you're going to have trouble. Because you're going to have trouble. He said, as though some strange thing happened unto you. There are times when life gets very difficult. And this woman had a difficult life. But then she heard of Jesus. She'd suffered a lot. She'd spent all she had. She felt abandoned and alone. But then verse 27 comes. When she had heard of Jesus. She was physically, emotionally, financially drained until she told about, heard about Jesus. So I was reading that this week. I thought, who told her? Was it a friend? Was it a relative that came to her and said, I know you've tried everything, but there's this guy going around. They say he's the Messiah. He's, he's healing people. Lepers are being cleansed. He's, he's even had people rise from the dead. Maybe you can go to him. Maybe it was a stranger. Somebody she didn't even know, but who maybe had heard about her, her need, or maybe just saw her in need and said, hey, have you heard about this guy, Jesus? You need to get to him. How many people do we pass by every day that the only thing they need to go from hopeless to hopeful is to hear about Jesus, and we don't tell them? We just keep it to ourselves. But someone saw her need. Someone loved her enough, cared about her enough, may not even known her, but they saw her need and they had compassion on her and they said, hey, what you need is not a new doctor, it's not a second opinion, you need Jesus. And she heard about Jesus. And when she heard of Jesus, hope sprang up in her heart. A flame of faith began to burn inside of her. And it wasn't perfect faith, but it was enough faith to give her hope. So we see that her life was difficult. Second thing we notice about her is her faith was desperate. If we're going to experience the extraordinary power of God in our ordinary lives, we have to have desperate faith. But what does desperate faith look like? Well, first of all, desperate faith is fixed. Now, I don't mean repaired. I don't mean your faith was damaged and you came in and you, know, you took it to John and he looked at it and put a new oil filter on it and fixed it. What I mean by when I say desperate faith is fixed is it is, it is fastened. It is unmovable. Her faith was not in a method. Her, her faith wasn't even in her faith. You ever had somebody tell you, well, if you just had enough faith, you'd get through this. That's faith in your faith. She didn't have faith in a method. She didn't have faith in someone else. She didn't have faith in herself. She had faith in the only thing that could help her, Jesus Christ in the flesh. And it was fixed and unmovable on him. Her faith was fixed on Jesus. She said, if I can just touch him, I know I'll be healed. Desperate faith 
It's, it's not unwavering. You know, James tells us a double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. Her faith wasn't like, well, if I get to Jesus, maybe. No, her faith was, Jesus is what I have to get to. Her faith was fixed. Secondly, her, her desperate faith is urgent. She didn't view Jesus as an option. She viewed Jesus as her only hope. Too often when we get in a difficult situation, we like to lay our options out on the table. Well, I'll try this, and if that doesn't work, I'll try this, and if, if that doesn't work, I'll, I'll try this, and if that, and eventually we get to a point, well, if that doesn't work, well, then I'll try God. She didn't say, well, I'll try all these things if they don't work out. She goes, I don't need anything else. I have to have God. That's the only thing that'll help me. It's not God plus anything else. It's not God if nothing else works. It's I need God. She was saying, if God is not God, then I have no hope and I am dead. That's the way we should always live as believers, with urgent faith. That God is not something we could use. God is all we need. Desperate faith is fixed. Desperate faith is urgent. Third, third thing we know is about desperate faith. Desperate faith is persistent. I don't know when she heard about Jesus. I don't know how long ago she had heard about him. But the wording of Mark chapter, uh, verse number 28 implies that some time had gone by. In Mark 5, 28 it says, For she said. Now, the word said there, the verb said, is in the present active tense. And the tense of verbs is important in languages, especially in the Greek language. The present active tense means it is a constant ongoing action that began sometime in the past. Which means I don't know when she heard about Jesus, whether it was that morning or it was three weeks ago or three days or three months. I don't know when she heard about Jesus, but the moment she heard about Jesus, she kept saying to herself over and over and over and over again, I got to get to Jesus. I got to get to Jesus. I got to get to Jesus. No matter what else happens, I got to get to Jesus. She didn't know how to get to him. She didn't know who he was or where he was, but she kept saying, I have to get to Christ. She had persistence in her, in her faith. And you see it not in just what she said, but what she did. When she finally gets to Jesus, there's this crowd around him. This throng of people surrounding him. He's having trouble moving. And this frail, weak, anemic woman shoved her way through the crowd so she could get to him. No one was going to keep her from getting to the only one who could help her. Desperate faith is persistent. Fourth thing we notice about desperate faith, desperate faith is expectant. She said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. She didn't say, if I can get to Jesus, this might work. Hopefully, this will heal me. It couldn't hurt. She said, if I, if I can just get to him, I know I'll be healed. If I can get to Christ, I know he'll fix me. He is all I have to get to. And if I get to him, I know he's going to do a miracle in my life. She was believing in the promise of God that he has given to his people, that he would unleash his power on their lives. Her life was a living example of Hebrews eleven twenty six. 26. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Too many times we don't please God because we don't really have faith. 
We pray, God, I know you can. Maybe you will. Hope you do. But if not, oh, well, I got plan B. She said, there is no plan B because I don't need a plan B because if I get to God, I know he is going to heal me. Her faith was expectant. She believed he was God and he would do what he said he would do. And all she had to do was get to him. Dr. Edmund Hebert said this. He goes, faith is that wholehearted attitude of a full and unquestioning committal to and dependence upon God as he has revealed himself to us in Christ Jesus. It is the proper human response to the goodness of God. When we approach God with our petitions, we must believe not only in his ability to grant our requests, but also in his willingness to answer in harmony with his character and purpose. Desperate faith is expectant. The fifth thing we notice about desperate faith is desperate faith is bigger than me. Look at verse 33. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in, in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. She understood that God's activity in her life, it wasn't about her. It wasn't about her disease. It wasn't about her healing. It wasn't about her getting her miracle. It was about God getting his glory. If it had been about her, she would have touched his garment, gotten healed, and walked away. But she knew God had done a miracle in her life so that everyone could glorify him. So she fell at his feet so everyone would give the glory to God. Look, my need is bigger than my need. My need is about his glory. My miracle that I need is not about God fixing my problem or getting involved in my situation or relieving my pain. If God gives his extraordinary power in my ordinary life and does a miracle in my life, it's not, it's not for me. It's so I can turn around and say, hey, look how incredible God is. It's so I can go to the world and say, wow, God is awesome. It's so God can get the glory. See, her faith was desperate. Third thing we notice about her, her faith invited in God's extraordinary power. Verse number 29. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed. The word straightway there means immediately. As soon as she got to God, she was healed. God's extraordinary power was unleashed in her ordinary life, and she experienced a miracle. And she had put herself in a position to experience a miracle because she had desperate faith. Then look at verse 34. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. One of the things you notice as you study the scriptures and you study the miracles of God, Jesus always worked according to the faith of the one he was doing a miracle for. You know, I wonder how many blind people, they didn't get 20-20 vision. They only got, you know, they got pretty, pretty bad eyesight. They could see, but they had to have glasses still because their faith wasn't that great. God works in our life in accordance to our faith. So if we believe God will do a little miracle, God may do a little miracle. But she believed God would work a great miracle and heal her. So when she got to God, her faith allowed her to be healed. Now, but I want you to look at that verse again. As she said unto her, 
daughter. That is the only place in the entire New Testament where this word is used to talk about a female in that way. Daughter. He is telling her, I am moved. It's a, it's a precious term. It's a term of endearment. He is telling her, I am, I am in awe of the faith you have in me. I am so moved by the faith you have that I'm going to move into your life and do a miracle. Today, we can experience God's extraordinary power. J.C. Ryle said this. He says, Christ has not changed since the day this woman was healed. He is still generous, and he still has power to save. I don't know what miracle you need, but today you can experience the, the extraordinary power of God unleashed in your ordinary life. See, we don't experience God's power being unleashed in our lives today, and I, I believe it's because we're not reaching for His garment. We don't have that desperate faith that says, God is the only one I can get to. He's the only one that can help me. And if I get to him, I know he's going to heal me. I know he's going to do something in my life. I know he's going to give a miracle. And no matter what happens, I'm going to do what I have to do to get to God. We are not reaching for the garment. There's a lot of people that were with Jesus that day. They had needs. I mean, the crowd around him, they had needs. They had burdens. They had problems. But they went away unchanged. They didn't experience a miracle. Only one who in desperate faith grabbed the hem of his garment was changed. So if you need a miracle today, I just ask you this. Are you reaching for his garment? Do you have desperate faith that says, God, whatever else happens, I need you. I don't need everything else and you. I need you and you only. And no matter what it takes, I'm going to get to you. Do you have that desperate faith? That will invite God's power into your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.